Welcome to the Emmaus Fellowship Teaching Podcast. We trust you find this encouraging. Emmaus Fellowship is located at 205 North Pine Street in Woodland Park, Colorado. Our phone number is 719-687-6061. We trust you find this encouraging as you pour over God's Word with us. Gave me a voice and a song Taught me how to sing All right, you guys ready to have some fun? Everybody okay with this? Like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just kind of. This is what I do when I'm shooting from the hip a little bit, you know. Um, I definitely have a focal point. I definitely have kind of a target uh, that I would love to share with you, and I'm also going to entrust the nuance of this with the holy to the Holy Spirit. I actually have grown accustomed to him speaking through me in ways that I didn't anticipate. It's more fun that way for me, and maybe for you. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe you're like, are you sure you want to blame the Holy Spirit on that? (laughs) I don't know. But but one of the things that we've been doing here uh, throughout the year, and we're wrapping it up, we have been studying the book of James since February 1 of 2022, And lo and behold, we're on the downhill stretch. I see the finish line in in a week. All right, James 5, verse 7. James 5, 7. Uh, This is second to the last message on James. And I'd like to read through verse 12. Brothers and sisters, we must be patient and filled with expectation As we wait for the appearing of the Lord. Thinking about the farmer who has to patiently wait for the earth's harvest as it ripens because of the earth early and latter rains, so you also keep your hopes high and be patient, for the presence of the Lord is drawing near. Since each of you are part of God's family, never complain or grumble about each other so that judgment will not come on you. For the true judge is near and very ready to appear. My brothers and sisters, take the prophets as your mentors. They have prophesied in the name of the Lord, and it brought them great suffering, yet they patiently endured. We honor them as our heroes because they remained faithful even while enduring great suffering. And you have heard all that Job went through. And we can now see that the Lord ultimately treated him with wonderful kindness, revealing how tender-hearted he really is. Above all, we must be those who never need to verify our speech as truthful by swearing by the heavens or the earth or by any other oath. But we must be so full of integrity that our yes or no is convincing enough. And we do not stumble into hypocrisy or judgment. So that's James 5, 7 through 12. And I'm just going to pray for a second here. So Jesus, uh, thank you for 
the way that you want to meet us here this morning and the way that you want to encourage our hearts through your word. And we approach this scripture as though we're approaching you because you are the word and you became flesh and dwelt among us. So Jesus, what do you want to say to us? Each one of us, uniquely and independent of what I'm saying, Jesus, take what I say and interpret it for each heart prophetically and let us hear what you're saying to us. And Lord, I just want to avail myself to you. Let me be your mouth. Let me be your conduit. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's plenty in this passage to keep us busy, right? There's a lot in there. I'm going to let most of it speak for itself. The part about don't be grumpy with each other and treat each other with respect. And yeah, that kind of speaks for itself. Like, let's be kind to each other. Let's practice good manners. Let's remember what we learned in kindergarten. (laughs) And when we have a real beef with somebody, approach them with respect and seek reconciliation and forgiveness. I'll let that speak for itself. I'll also let the part where we should not swear by anything in order to kind of bring credibility to what we're saying. I'll let that speak to itself, uh, for itself as well, where we would let our yes be yes and our no be no. Or if you're in Albania, you would let your yo be yo and your po be po. I learned that while I was there. Who knew? I was like, are you kidding me? That's how they say yes and no, yo and po? Anyway, I had fun with that. So all I'm saying here is with this dynamic of integrity, I'll just let the scripture hold, hold you to this, like, there should, be, there should be a way for each one of us to walk in such integrity that when we say something, people believe it's going to happen or that it's true. And I think that speaks volumes. Here's what, I'm, I'm just having this moment where I'm remembering that there are people who attach even like the Lord to the things that they say in order to try to bring credibility to what they're saying. Like, like I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a Christian nationalist. Like, like Jesus is the adjective to my noun. Like Jesus has, like I'm almost like adding Jesus to bring credibility to what I stand. I don't know. It's just like, no, just let, just let the integrity of who you are speak and let it be accurate and consistent. Okay, I'll stop there. I just think that sometimes we I mean, when it says, don't, I mean, because we don't go around saying, I swear by heaven. Sometimes you might, like, if you're really trying to convince somebody, you might say something like, I swear on my mother's grave. I don't know what that even means. But let's just let what we say be what we mean. And let's do what we say. And we don't have to add Jesus in there to try to bring credibility to the thing that we're trying to promote. Let your life promote it in the way of, living, not in the way of speaking only. Just let your life be the demonstration. All right, so like I said, there's plenty in this passage to keep us busy. What I'd like to do today is I'd like to auger down into the idea of the coming of the Lord. Can we do that? All right, so Revelation twenty-two seventeen, come, says the Holy Spirit and the bride in divine duet. Have you ever heard that passage? The the spirit and the bride say, come. Let everyone who hears this duet join them in saying, come. Let everyone 
gripped with spiritual thirst, say, come. Let everyone who craves the gift of living water come and drink it freely. Come. Revelation twenty two seventeen. The spirit and the bride say, come. So there's something intrinsic in who we are as human beings, really, I don't even think it's reserved just to those who have said yes to Jesus. I think there is a cry in every human being's heart for the coming of the Lord, for the the nearness of God, for a connection and communion with the presence of the Lord. The spirit and the bride are joined together in this duet. You have to know that it's the Holy Spirit that's initiating this Because God put longings in each one of us as human beings, and the great longing that we have is to have fellowship with our Creator. So the Spirit and the Bride say, come. When we look at James 5, and we take a look at the verse 7, and we'll probably focus mostly on 7 and touch on verse 8, the appearing or coming of the Lord the language from this that comes out of the Greek is really fascinating to me. Now, I have to admit, I'm not a Greek scholar, but I'm fascinated by language. And I won't try to necessarily pronounce all of these, you know, these Greek words accurately, but I will say that they have meaning. And one of the things about this word coming or appearance, I don't know what it read like in your version, in the version that I read, which was the Passion Translation, it says, we wait for the appearing of the Lord. And your translation may have said the coming of the Lord. You need to know that that comes from the same word, the Greek word, which means arrival or presence or becoming manifest or appearing. And this grouping of definitions, it actually comes from uh, a word that's what's known as a present participle. Again, I'm not a scholar, but I'm going to tell you this stuff because it makes me sound smart. All right? <laughs> but this present participle thing is really interesting to me um, because the word that's actually forming up here is important because it's going to help us. It's going to help us focus on what we're waiting for. If the passage here in James tells us to, um, to be patient and filled with expectation as we wait for the appearing of the Lord. What are we waiting for? And so the, the word here is a compound word, this uh, present participle. And the first part of this word is para, which means basically beside or around. An example of that would be like the, the pericardia, which is that membrane that's around your heart, okay? So para is like that, all right? It's something that comes beside or around in support of. And then the other half of that word, it means to be seen or to be made visible. And so the word for appearing or coming here has little to do with distance or space and more to do with becoming visible, such as an uncovering or a revealing of something that is nearby, something that is beside you, something that is around you. So there's something around you, there's something beside you, there's something near to you that you cannot see until it is revealed to you. 
So when we're looking at this and we're, we're being encouraged to, you know, be patient and have a heightened anticipation or expectation for the appearance of the Lord, it's going to help us know what it is that we're actually waiting for. So it's, it's really something that um, might be helpful for us. So the word that we're going to use here for the coming or the appearing of the Lord is this present participle, like I said. And this, an example of that would be a, a participle is a descriptor for the main verb, all right? And so a present participle is something that's happening simultaneously to something else, if that makes sense. Here's an example. While the gentleman was walking, he saw. Okay, so the walking part is the main verb, and he saw was the participle. Now what's fascinating about the scripture is there's several examples of present participles within the scripture that take place with an emphasis on the made verb, and it's being described by a similar word. It's like this. Uh, There's an example in Ephesians where it says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the word filled there is a present participle, which means to be filled and continually be filled. And the same would be true here in James 5, 7. Be patient for the coming of the Lord can be translated, be patient as the presence of the Lord becomes present. That's important for us. And I'm going to share this in the context of my story a little bit. And I want to be careful because I don't want to make this about me. But I was taught at least three very different interpretations for the coming of the Lord over the course of my many years of walking with Jesus. When I was a child, I was taught one way. As I grew into my young adulthood and I met Tiffany, I discovered the coming of the Lord in a different way. In about 2008, the Lord opened my eyes to see some new ways of experiencing his presence or his nearness to me. And so it just so happens that we get taught these things either through sermons, that's kind of the direct way, or indirectly through church culture. And so in my younger years, I was taught that the coming of the Lord uh, was an event that was going to happen in the, in the course of history. And so this is what you might have known. Maybe this is something that you grew up in, and it was something that I later learned was, was kind of categorized in this phrase, or this word, a dispensationalist. So in my understanding as a young boy, the coming of the Lord... As a, as a church culture of dispensationalists, we, the church taught and the church focused on an event that was going to happen in the future that would affect us and impact us now uh, at that time. So, after, so that's the one thing. So that was early. And then later when I met Tiffany and we started to have like, how many of you, um, I won't ask that question, but when she and I dated, we did two major things. Uh, we, we, she was a geologist by study, and so we'd go rock hounding, and we'd try to find pretty crystals up in the mountains, and we were both having a spiritual awakening to the things of the Holy Spirit, and so we were coming into like this conversation all the time about who God is and the Holy Spirit, and so what was fascinating was I kind of 
grew out of that dispensationalist idea of the coming of the Lord, and I moved into a charismatic expression of the coming of the Lord. And the charismatic expression of the coming of the Lord was very, very different than what I understood it as a kid. Okay, so then about, oh, I don't know, maybe it was about 15 years ago, I entered into thinking of the coming of the Lord through the lens of what you could call um, spiritual formation as a contemplative. So here you got a dispensationalist who converted to a charismatic, who converted into a neo-mystic contemplative. I am quite the mix, I'm telling you. And the thing that I love about this is the Lord is never content to just let us stay where we're at. He's always trying to reveal more of himself. He's always trying to help us see the facets of who he is. And in no way am I going to dismiss all of the previous ways that I understood. They were just building blocks and they didn't disappear. I still have ideas around the dispensationalist ideas about the coming of the Lord. And I still love the interactive, charismatic um, you know, relationship that I have with the Holy Spirit. And I'm discovering even more fully what it means uh, to have a contemplative life with God in my interior. So as I'm reflecting on all of these seasons of my spiritual journey, I'm not convinced that any of one of these interpretations is wrong. It just means that um, when they were my primary emphasis, it seemed like I gave little thought to the others. Okay, so I just want to actually this morning explore them in a way that can bring credibility to each one of them and uh, let them be part of our narrative simultaneously. I think that's important for us. So as a young guy, uh, the coming of the Lord was, like I said, going to be a historic event, and he was going to come rescue us from the world. I was, I'm going to... If I come off a little bit sarcastic or a little bit like tongue-in-cheek, I'm not actually making fun, but I kind of am. Because there were some things that I learned over the course of all these years that I was like, seriously, we, I, we did that? It's like, you know, it's what I call the hamburger helper. It's like the meat of it is God and, you know, everything that he wants to teach us through the word. And then human beings just kind of add their stuff, you know? And there's a little bit of that going on. And so part of the, part of the process of deconstructing uh, the culture of church is to get some of the hamburger helper stuff out of the way so that we can get to the meat of it, okay? But some of the hamburger helper stuff is laughable, just going to say. I mean, it was kind of funny, uh, but it, it was also scary. And it was also, in my personal experience, uh, it could probably land in the category of spiritual abuse, at some level, because the church that I grew up in, I mean, they thought the Southern Baptists had sold out. I mean, they were so incredibly conservative and fundamentalist that, um, <clears throat> that they were convinced. And, and honestly, uh, what they called the second coming of the Lord or the rapture is legitimate. I mean, that's the thing about it. It's legitimate. But I was a child of the Cold, Cold War. I lived in Europe. I was in Germany during the 70s. And Russia was the great bear of the north that was going to come down and devour everybody, right? And so the only, the only thing that made sense to this particular fellowship was that the Lord was going to have to rapture us and deliver us out of the great tribulation. And so they were pre-tribulation. It was an escape plan of God to get us out of there. And I've learned since then um, that 
the Lord will actually allow us to endure suffering. <laughs> and he may not just snatch us out. Uh, that, you know, the church family that I was a part of, I mean, they used the rapture for many, many things. And one of the pri- it was actually one of the primary evangelism tools. And it was to motivate non-Christians to get born again. And it was particularly effective when it would induce fear of being left behind. Like if you didn't know Jesus and the rapture happened tonight or tomorrow, it was always very imminent, uh, that you would be left behind. And the pre-tribulation attitude was that the coming of the Lord or the rapture was going to happen any minute and that we had better be ready or we would suffer under the rule of the Antichrist. And so that actually kept me up at night, gave me nightmares as a kid, um, made me afraid to walk my dog at night sort of thing. And so um, was it motivating at some level? Was it sustainable? I don't think so. For me personally, I found it um, unsustainable to have my faith in Christ be rooted in fear alone. Now, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We understand that. But it is kindness that leads us to repentance. So I'll just leave it at that. Uh, The flip side of this coin was that those who were in Christ will experience the resurrection of the dead at the coming of the Lord. So this is where I'm like, yeah, great. Let's not throw the baby out with bathwater. You know, let's look at the fact that there are scriptures like 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, that remind us that we actually do have hope that those who do not know the Lord may not have. I'm going to read this. Brothers and sisters, I want you to be quite certain about the truth concerning those who have passed away so that you don't get overwhelmed with grief like those who do not have hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and we also believe that God will bring with Christ those who died while believing in him. This is the word of the Lord. We who are alive in him will remain until the Lord appears, and we, we will ha- by no means have an advantage over those who have already died. Both will rise together, for the Lord himself will appear with the declaration of victory, the shout of the archangel, and the trumpet blast of the Lord of God, And he will descend from the heavenly realm and command those who are dead in Christ to rise first. And then we who are alive will join them, transported together in the clouds to to have an encounter with the Lord in the air. And we will be forever joined with the Lord. So encourage one another with these truths. So yes, spirit and the bride say, come. Come, Lord Jesus. There will be a second coming of Christ. And we will meet him in the air. And if it's the only perspective that I have, if it's the only revealing of the presence of the Lord that I know, then I place my hope in something external that I have no control over unless, of course, I go and preach the gospel to all the nations. Again, another motivator. Let's get the Lord here quick. Um, But I would say this, uh, that there is a truth to the coming of the Lord that is a historic event that we can look forward to and we can place our hope in and we can find solace in that the story does not end here, that there is a greater story and Jesus is going to bring the restoration of all things and he's going to include his people in that process. So that's exciting. 
But if that's the only interpretation that I have of James 5, 7, then I'm going to miss a whole lot between now and then. I'll just grit my teeth and bear it until the Lord comes back. And I won't understand that there is an abundance of life that's available to me on this side of heaven. And that's where the Lord, in his kindness and his grace, was like, and there's more. And I want you to meet him, and his name is Holy Spirit. Because actually, up to that point, my trinity was God the Father, Son, and Holy Bible. And I'm not knocking the Bible. I'm just saying that in that, at, that atmosphere, and that culture of the church, there was no talk of Holy Spirit. There was no talk. It was all like considered dead with the first-generation apostles, cessationists, as it were. And so all of the stuff in the New Testament that I read in the book of Acts and everything that was so fascinating to me as a kid, in that culture that I grew up in was actually, some of that was preached against and even considered evil. And so talk about confusing. That's when in my early 20s, I said, Lord, clean slate. I don't want to believe anything just because I was told it my whole life. I actually want to search the scripture and I want to find out the truth. And I got to a crossroads because there was so much fear in the culture that I grew up in that I had to actually stand at this crossroads with God and I had to make a decision. Was I going to fear being deceived so much that I would not pursue any truth in the scripture other than what I had been taught? Or was I going to trust the spirit of truth to lead me into all truth? That was my decision. It doesn't mean that I jettisoned wisdom or discernment. It doesn't mean that I jettisoned, you know, the good practice of searching a thing out and testing all things and holding on to that which is good. But it opened up the door to possibilities that I had never experienced before. And that's when I became fascinated by the Holy Spirit. That's when Tiffany and I together began to discover things. And I would just say this, that the coming of the Lord, man, I'm looking at the time going, oh, yeah, we're going to have some fun here. This, this might take a minute. <clears throat> um, so I actually, Tiffany and I discovered uh, a Christian movement called the Vineyard. Anybody here of the Vineyard Christian movement, Christian fellowship from the 80s? It kind of was born out of the hippie movement. The Jesus people, um, they took a couple paths, and one of the paths that a lot of those guys took, you know, uh, John... Wimber, thank you, um, was the path of saying, let's do the stuff. Let's do the stuff. What does that mean? That means the stuff that you read in the Bible, in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, that's the stuff that's still available for us as people of God, and we can be a part of that. Okay, awesome. And um, one of the things, now, again, the emphasis shifted for me, and it, and it was no longer just an event that I was looking forward to in history, the coming of the Lord, but how many of you, have ever been in a vineyard, especially back in the early 80s, man, they loved to pray this prayer, come Lord Jesus, come Holy Spirit. So again, maybe indirect, maybe the leadership didn't mean to do this, but for me, 
the emphasis was on the corporate meeting and the manifest presence of the Lord to come to us, to come into our space. And so what we had to do was uh, evaluate every good meeting that we had. Because if the Holy Spirit showed up, we must have done something right, and let's do it again next week. And so it kind of became this formula-driven sort of, what do we need to do? Let's, let's repli- replicate that the next time, because God really showed up that time, remember? That was amazing. And the way that we kind of figured God was showing up, or the Lord was coming, was we had manifestations of the presence of the Lord. People would shake, people would speak in tongues, people would get healed, people would get delivered from evil spirits. I'm not kidding. This stuff was fun. We were doing the stuff. And the mentality that I had, because I had been, probably because I had been raised with such an external view of the coming of the Lord, it was all about convincing the Lord to come into our meeting. But there was something else that was simultaneously happening. And it happened through a book that the Lord brought to me. Um, I don't even know how it came. I came across it. It's pretty thick. Uh, and it's called The Spiritual Man by Watchman Nee. And during that time, in the early 90s, I began to realize, I began to learn that I personally had a spirit. That I had, it wasn't just my soul. It wasn't just my body and my soul. But I also had a spirit. And up to that point... I had only been aware of the soul, and so I had been experiencing soulish Christianity, or what Paul would call carnal Christianity. It's not just fleshly, but it's about, you know, just this engaging God with your soul alone, but not the spirit, the spirit, small s, united with the big ass spirit of God that comes together, and it changes you, and it transforms you, and Anyone who is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. This newness of life started to awaken me, and, and, and Tiffany was sure a part of this as well. And so I am not throwing rocks at that experience that I had over the course of the 90s. Like, it was a spiritual awakening. It was a renewal. But admittedly, whether the leaders wanted to uh, for this or not, the emphasis was on having the right combination of external ingredients in worship, usually, that would usher in the presence of the Lord. I'm just admitting that's what, at least my personal experience of was it. Did we enter his gates with thanksgiving first? And then did we go into his courts with praise? You know, it was like this formula. Did we exterminate all the evil spirits from the building? Did we confess our sins? We had to get all of these pieces together and right, as though, and I am kind of poking fun of this, but, but every one of these ingredients, I believe, still are important to us, but it was this idea that God could not come unless, unless the atmosphere was like spiritually sterile. I mean, that makes God out to be either very weak or very conditional. So then, fast forward, the Lord's like, and there's more. And so I will fast forward just a little bit, but I will say that this is very much a big part of my journey, and I do admit that there is a presence of the Lord, and there is a coming of the presence of the Lord that can, I think it's kind of reserved for corporate gatherings, and I love it. 
And we definitely see that in the book of Acts, Acts 2. We look at all the ways that the Holy Spirit came in that corporate setting of the disciples being together. I'll let you read that, Acts 2. It's super, super amazing. And it's where the church got empowered. It's where the church gets empowered, is in the dunamis power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you will receive power. And you will be my witnesses to the uttermost parts of the earth. That is true. And so the spirit and the bride say, come, yes, and amen. So yes, there's an event that we can look forward to, the coming of the Lord. And there's an experience that we can have corporately that involves the presence of the Lord manifesting himself in the corporate gathering. And we as the church can do the stuff. And in about 2008, the Lord started to bring me through into this recognition of my heart is the dwelling place of God. Again, that idea about the presence of the Lord or the coming of the Lord, that present participle, it's like there is something that is around you, near you, beside you already, whether you see it or not. His name is Jesus. And he has taken up residence in you in such a way that unless, and I'm going to say this clearly, unless you stop being adversarial to your own heart, you will never discover it. If you mistrust your heart to the extent that you do not approach it, that you think it is deceitfully wicked and cannot be repaired, cannot be transformed, if you are not convinced that when Christ unites himself with your spirit and takes up residence in your heart, if you're not convinced that that is a transformative work and that God literally gives you a a new heart, like he takes the heart of stone and he transforms it into a heart of flesh, that he circumcises your heart, that your evil tendencies and your sinful nature have been crucified with Christ and it's no longer you who live, but Christ who lives where? In you? You will never experience, unless you're convinced of all that, you will never experience a rich interior presence and coming of the Lord for you here and now. And it'll always be something exterior and you'll always be wondering, Am I getting it right? Did I mess up too much? Or way out there, like, grit your teeth and hold on until that day when you get snatched out of this mess. But just trust me that there is a presence of the Lord. And when when James says this in James 5, 8, I'm going to go there. When he says... Keep your hopes high and be patient in the presence of the Lord. What he says there, keep your hopes high. How many of you have a different translation of that? Uh, James 5.8. Anything about strengthening your heart? Establish. Establish your heart. This is where the Passion Translation failed me this time. Because I actually really like that where it says, establish your heart or strengthen your heart. You have access to the presence of the Lord. 
It is around you. He is near you. He is beside you. And James is saying he wants to reveal himself to you. And so this is where that more contemplative, that more, mm, like, let's awaken those spiritual senses that we have as a spiritual man, as a spiritual person. You have eyes, like Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened. Now, your physical heart doesn't have eyes, but your spiritual heart has eyes to see. You have spiritual ears to hear. You have an intuition to know. And so I just simply want to say this around this. Jesus is very clear. Even when he sent his disciples out, like before he was ascended into heaven, he says this, I want you to go into all the world and make disciples of all the people and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and teach them to faithfully follow all that I have commanded you and never forget And never forget, and never forget, I am with you every day, even to the completion of this age. The Spirit and the Bride say, come. And if we take that Greek compounded word, the Spirit and the Bride say, I'm saying, you're the Bride of Christ, we can be saying, Reveal what's around us already. Reveal who you are to us. Come in that way. So that present participle is like, he's present and he's going to be present. Listen to this again from Jesus. When he was asked by the Pharisees, When the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. In other words, it doesn't come because you got the worship set lined up just right. It doesn't come because you jumped through all the hoops or you had the right diet or you did the right spiritual jumping jacks or whatever it is. He's saying, um, nor will you say the, the kingdom of God is over there or it's over here. For indeed, the kingdom of God is within you. So this is Luke 17, 21. So I just want to just seek the coming of the Lord. We can simultaneously seek the revealing of the Son of God to come for us. Yes, historically, come for us. I'm ready. (laughs) And come manifest your presence amongst us. Yes, Lord, do that. And reveal yourself to our spirits. Come for us, come amongst us, and come reveal yourself to us. So that's my take on James 5, 7 through 12, mostly 7 and 8. But the part about strengthening your heart, your heart, the invitation is not only for us to invite Jesus to come. But do you remember what Jesus said? Come to me. So what about this idea of it being reciprocal? What about it's not just us begging God to come near to us. Oh, then we realize, oh, he's already here. And now we're asking and asking and asking for God to reveal himself to us as though he's teasing us in some way. No. 
we have to remember that it's also Jesus, and this might be the part of the Spirit saying, come. Yeah, it's kind of posed like it's a duet, like we're echoing each other, the Spirit and the bride saying, come, 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 Jesus. But what if the Spirit is saying to you, come? And what if your Spirit is saying to the Lord, come? And what if that's the duet? And what if that's the reciprocating desires of your heart and the heart of the Lord, that we would strengthen our hearts, that we would establish our hearts, that we would seek the coming of the Lord, and that Christ actually seeks your coming as well. So when you come to the Lord, let me just offer this. You come in a posture of receptivity. You come as a child. You come with a simple ask. Reveal yourself to me, Jesus. Is there anything you'd like to say? Anything you'd like to show me? Is there anything I should know? And let's even simplify it a little bit more. Maybe you would just simply ask Jesus, Jesus, where are you and I right now? And then let him speak his words to you. So with that, I'd like to pray, and we'll close our time out together. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. I just admit that, you know, if it's about the external and, it's about, and if it's about, you know, trying to f- jump through the hoops and all that kind of stuff, um, it's really hard for us to really get to know Jesus that way. And Peter's really clear. He says, as we know Jesus, his divine power gives us everything we need for life and godliness. So I think that this invitation to connect with the revealing of Christ in all three of these ways it's helpful for us to get to know Jesus more. And so I just want to pray for that. I just want to bless each one of you with this renewed sense of seeking, this renewed sense of asking for the Lord to appear. And I just want to acknowledge that the Lord has given you personally direct access. And I also want to just help you Remember that Jesus really loves your heart and that when he entered your life, that's where he took up residence. It's like what the Irish Christians would call the hearth of your heart. Imagine a cold, rainy day and you come into a dwelling place and there's a warm fire, and there's two seats. That's in you. And Jesus is in one of those seats. He says, I've stood at the door of your heart, and I knocked. And many of you have opened that door and invited him to come in and sup with you. And then we leave him there by himself. Because we don't trust that this is a safe place. And I acknowledge that sometimes our hearts convince us of things that aren't true. And I acknowledge that we have a wrestling match inside of us many days. But your safest place right now is in the presence of the Lord 
in a place that you take with you everywhere you go and through every circumstances you live in. So Jesus, we want to find hope there and we want to have a heightened expectation of meeting you and knowing you. And so Jesus, I want to bless the interior of each person here and those who are listening that you have made your dwelling place among us. And I just want to thank you for all the ways that you can give us hope for our future on this earth that you are making all things new. And I want to thank you for coming into our, pers- our gatherings when we gather together and you manifest your presence here with us. And I want to thank you for the personal relationship that you have with each one of us. And I ask, Lord, that you would bless each one of us, bless all of my friends here to have an increased desire, anticipation, and hope that they will meet with you anytime they purpose in their heart to connect with you personally. So bless each heart here. Strengthen them. Establish them. Take your hands and place them underneath their hearts. You have done this already. You are near to them and around them. And so thank you, God, for all the ways that you're going to reveal yourself to us this year. Thank you for the avalanche of revelation. Thank you for all the ways that you're meeting us today and encouraging us. And I pray, God, that you would strengthen us by your Holy Spirit. And I pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. It's our joy to offer these podcasts. We sure hope you enjoyed it. If you have any questions, any prayer requests, feel free to drop us a line at Fellowship at iCloud.com. If you're curious about ways you can be more deeply involved in this community, visit our website at EmmausFellowship.org and be sure to like our Facebook page.